I go to work and I feel happy making pastries, especially when I make something that's particularly delicious and I'm like, wow, like I didn't expect that. And then when I see my chefs making delicious food and they, uh, you know, feel great about that and then you see people eating the food and and they're happy as well. So I guess it just brings joy to everybody. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The art of great pastry can be learnt in the pastry kitchens of the best restaurants of the world. But as our food culture evolves, young, smart professionals are transferring their skills to much more accessible surrounds. It means right across Australia, access to world-class pastries is commonplace. But what does it take to bring that to an everyday environment? Lindsay Cranebring is the head pastry chef of Davella Patisserie, Paul Paul Cafe and Monocle Coffee. Lindsay, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. You're um, one of the stars of uh, pastry in in Queensland. What's the attraction of pastry and um, dessert world to you? Um, I don't know. I love pastries and I think the most attractive thing about it is it brings joy to everybody. Um, Like all of my chefs, everybody who comes in, it just makes people happy being able to eat delicious pastries, and I love that. You come from a family uh, who owned restaurants. What was it like for you growing up um, with food? Um, actually, my mum didn't own a restaurant until I'd just left high school. So, I mean, we always cooked at home together. We did lots of uh, baking and everything, and my mum, she loves cooking. And then... I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was in high school, but when I left um, and my mum had bought a bakery, uh, sorry, a restaurant, and um, so I started working for her. I moved to the northern uh, region of New South Wales where her restaurant was and started working for her. And then it was probably about six months in that I decided that I love cooking and I wanted to do an apprenticeship. So that's when I started my apprenticeship. Um, it was a small place, a wood fire pizza place. So I learned how to make dough and, uh, cook on the wood fire oven and everything. Um, but then after, when I was in my second year of my apprenticeship, I wanted more. So that's when I decided to move to Sydney to pursue being a chef. What was it like when your mum made the decision to open a restaurant? What did you think at the time? Um, it was exciting. I mean, I I was pretty young. I didn't really – it was just a job kind of thing. I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> so I just – I just I used that as an opportunity to, to get into the workforce and, and, and actually I really loved it. So I was lucky in that aspect that, um, that I could hop into hospitality and actually really enjoy it and, and make something of it. You mentioned that you moved to Sydney to explore a career as a chef. What was the first commercial kitchen in Sydney that you worked in? Um, The first kitchen was called The Cut Bar and Grill. Uh, It's a steakhouse in the rocks. Um, So I worked under head chef James Privet and he – it was an amazing opportunity actually because I I didn't really know a lot about all of the restaurants in Sydney and everything and he – employed I think maybe we were five or six apprentices in the kitchen at one time and he really let the apprentices uh 
like control their own sections and and all of that. So I was pretty lucky. You spent quite a bit of time in in Sydney at various restaurants. What were the really integral moments and uh, in your career that were stepping stones for you as a chef? Um, so when I was working at the Cut, I worked for I was I'm just a commercial cookery. I'm, I'm like I, I call myself a pastry chef because I've worked mostly pastry, but I didn't actually do my apprenticeship in pastry. Um, and then when I was a second year apprentice, I worked for a pastry chef called Yu Ching and she was just unreal. And I, I remember um, that really inspired me to go along the path of being a pastry chef rather than working as a savory chef. Um, and I enjoyed it so much more. And she was really my like number one inspiration for becoming a pastry chef. Um, so after I uh, was in my third year of apprenticeship and I moved to Rockpool Bar and Grill, and um, was lucky enough to get a job there. And I finished my apprenticeship there and I just, it, it was really amazing just learning the art of such simplistic food, but it was just like so delicious. Everything was perfect. Um, and that was, I felt really lucky for that. What was it about uh, pastry um, that drew you in? Is, was there any particular techniques or, or dishes um, that, that really captured you? Um, I think that I have, uh, I'm quite particular when I'm cooking and I have quite an artistic side to myself. So I feel like, um, it's easier to express that in pastry and I mean, it's delicious. I love eating pastry. So there's that too. <laughs> Tell us about your time at Rockpool. It's such a big kitchen with so many chefs. Can you, can you take us to a typical day of what it was like in the pastry kitchen and how many sort of people were you feeding? Um, it's a huge restaurant. I think they would, I can't remember how many it was seating, maybe 200 or something. And I remember some services we were doing, you know, forward 400 people and, and uh, with functions and things as well. Um, I think during service, there was probably three or four of us in the pastry kitchen. Um, and we also did the desserts for Spice Temple as well, which was below. After Rockpool Bar and Grill, you worked in many uh, establishments, including Key and Bentley. How, how different was, was that compared to that grounding that you had at Rockpool? Um, it was a lot different. Uh, Key was probably one of the hardest kitchens that I've worked in um, just because the, you know, we're there all day, every day, such long hours with the, like the same people where like, you know, breathing one another it's, and it's such a close community, but you know, it gets, it gets hard. And I had a few meltdowns there. I won't lie. <laughs> um, but I mean, at the end of the day, the experience was incredible and I've met some like really great people along the way and, you know, I wouldn't change that for anything. Brent Savage is a somewhat underrated uh, chef and very, very talented. What, what was he like to work with? Uh, Brent's great. He's, he's uh, really easy to approach, um, easy to talk to, um, really high expectations, which is, is – it, it's tough, but, um, you know, it really trains your palate a lot. Um, 
it's a lot different working at Bentley. Their desserts are not so sweet, more along the savoury lines. So it was like a different, um, it was like learning a different palate to be able to fit into that kind of flavour. Um, but I think that, that that's actually trained myself a lot into working in the bakery or a patisserie because having that savory influence into sweet things actually it's helped a lot um because I'm not much into going into a patisserie and and having a overwhelming sweetness flavors lots of sugar and all of that I'm more into that savory or sour fresh flavors can you give us an example of a dessert or two from your time at, at Bentley that sort of exemplifies that leaning towards a savoury type of dessert? Uh-huh. Yep. There was a dessert that I created when I was at Bentley, actually, and it's probably one of my favourite desserts that I've been able to put together. And it was not without the influence of, you know, my senior chefs there as well. Um, it was a Saki Lee's ice cream and uh, with strawberries and tonka bean and it was I'm not I'm not a fan of sake at all I don't really enjoy (laughs) it (laughs) that much but it's something about um, we had a whole bunch of sake leaves in the freezer from like a previous function and I always go through this um, you know I've got to use everything up in the freezer make space and no wastage everything and so I uh, tasted a little bit of the sake leaves and you know it's quite creamy not so offensive in flavor because I kind of find sake offensive <laughs> um, and so decided to turn it into an ice cream and uh, which was it was delicious actually and then paired it with um, some macerated strawberries and some crispy um, crispy strawberry rice and uh, a tonka bean curd and it was delicious. Wow. Yeah. You, you spent uh, four years in Sydney, but you ventured overseas. Well, what triggered that and, and what did you do? Um, I had a partner at the time. He was, he's a, he was a chef as well. And then we decided to, we wanted to go traveling and, um, it was just kind of spur of the moment. I was like, let's go to Canada. I applied for a visa and got a visa. <laughs> um, and then we moved to Montreal first, which was um, was quite difficult. We probably spent about two months looking for a job and couldn't get a job anywhere because we didn't actually speak French. Um, and then uh, a restaurant uh, gave me a call, a head chef from a restaurant gave me a call and said oh I see you've got key on your resume I know key and he was like you can come and be a pastry chef I was like oh cool I got a job (laughs) so I mean it was it's good working out for you know big names helps you obviously um but I spent a lot of time I moved around a lot in Canada to different restaurants and uh worked uh one year in Montreal and then one year in Vancouver and um worked at a bakery in Vancouver and then um, a little dessert and champagne bar. And uh, it was 
you know, it was really fun working over there and doing a lot of stuff. But then obviously it was a lot about the travel as well. And I spent a lot of time um, taking breaks from work and seeing the country and traveling down to America and eating lots of good food and lots of donuts. And <laughs> yeah. What did you learn from your time in Canada? Um, I mean, uh, a lot, um, but the most that I took from it was just meeting a whole range of different people with different backgrounds and, and just, uh, just making a lot of friends. And it's where I kind of, um, found my passion for the best donuts ever because in uh, <laughs> Vancouver they have so many donut places and I just would spend my days off going around and trying all different donuts and sometimes I crave them. I've traveled back to Canada since I left and always just to go back and get some donuts from Granville Island markets. What brought you back uh, to Australia and um to take on sort of a head head chef role that you have? Um, I moved back to Australia because my visa ran out. <laughs> so I guess I had to. Um, that's when I actually moved back to Sydney and I, and I did the whole stint at Bentley then. Um, but uh, I just, I didn't want to live in Sydney anymore. It was just too much, a bit too big. And um, before I moved to Brisbane, I actually um, moved up into the Daintree and worked at one of the luxury lodges of Australia as the head pastry chef at Silky Oaks. And that was that was pretty cool, actually. It was, um, yeah, what an incredible place in the world. It's amazing up there. With such a humid climate, how difficult is it uh, creating great pastries? Um, yeah, it was tough actually. The summer months are just unbearable in the kitchen. Um, and, you know, I was making little chocolates and everything. So tempering chocolate in hot, humid climates was not fun. But I had a method <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> but yeah, it was challenging. But I mean, like um, making bread was great. It's a perfect environment for uh, all of those yeast products. So I guess it had its perks as well. Um, but after a year and doing the summer in the Daintree, I couldn't do it for another one. It was it was just too much. <laughs> so then um, I moved back to Brisbane because uh, my whole family are close to this area. My brother lives in Brisbane and my parents uh, live in Toowoomba. So I wanted to kind of be close to my family. And um, Brisbane's great. I mean, it's got everything that you want in a city, except it's just not it, it's quite relaxed, which is a great atmosphere. And um, in this this job that I am in now uh, with the Venzen Group, it kind of just happened due to COVID. It wasn't um, wasn't planned. I didn't I didn't expect to you know run and I'm part owner of Develler. Actually, I didn't expect to be part owner of a bakery anytime soon. Um, <laughs> but it all happened. Uh, when the first outbreak of, of COVID and we um, everyone went into lockdown, restaurants shut everywhere and no one had a job. And uh, Gina, the owner of Pawpaw Cafe, was looking for 
um, a pastry chef to come in and do a pop-up bakery. And I said, oh, yeah, I can do that, you know, a few hours a week. No worries. It'll keep me afloat while we're all waiting to see what will happen. And uh, we started doing that, you know, just a few donuts. I think the first week I made like 20 donuts and a few brownies and cakes or something. And she was like, oh, going to have to up that. So we upped it to like, you know, 300 donuts <laughs> and it went crazy. It went absolutely crazy. And Gina was like, oh, let's open a bakery together. And I said, oh, no, thanks. <laughs> I, I, um, I've, I, I don't think I can do that. Anyway, uh, probably, you know, three months of convincing later and I thought, oh, all right, okay, let's do it. So then we um, went on the search for the perfect location um, and there wasn't a lot to choose from, I suppose, of, you know, we've looked at a few existing bakeries but, you know, then we decided to just build our own and um, ended up in Belimba on Oxford Street and the location is just, it's it's great, it's perfect. You know, we've built um, this beautiful bakery and, and it's extremely popular so I feel, you know, lucky and proud. It's great. This is the first business that you've part-owned. What's it been like for you being owner and head chef? Has there been uh, challenges and obstacles that you didn't envisage? Um, I I feel very lucky, actually, because uh, Gina's great as a – like my boss and Um, part-owner. She she knows – everything to do with business and she's um got her marketing like perfect so we've not had a problem in that aspect and i've been very lucky as to handpick uh, my team in the kitchen um so i've got uh myself and five chefs five pastry chefs um so there's six of us in there and um a lot of uh, a lot of them are quite new to the kitchen and you know this whole world and they've just excelled you know i'm so proud of them and we're just doing a fantastic job so if i didn't have all of these people absolutely i'd be super stressed out and and you know it wouldn't be as successful but i think i've been very lucky how has the process of baking helped you during the last 18 months um i think that uh, especially with all of the lockdowns and the situation that, you know, nobody really knows what's going to happen. Um, But everybody wants a little sweet treat at the end of every day. So (laughs) I think that it's been, um, you know, quite a a successful project of ours and um, the support has been, you know, it's been great. So, yeah. It's been a, a very big smash success since you opened. Tell us about some of the things that you're making there uh, that, that really stand out on the menu. Um, so we've always got our donut selection um, as that was kind of the original uh, product at our pop-up bakery. Um, and they're like popular, very popular every day. Um, but we decided that, um, as our standard cake range, we didn't want something that was just uh, a cake that you could buy in any bakery or patisserie. So we decided that we would make uh, what we're calling baby cakes. Um, it's a it's a miniature version, so a four inch version of um, like big 
uh, stacked cakes. So like semi-naked and decorated like drip cakes and like wedding style cakes, but they're tiny. They're like a four, four person cake. And so they look really decadent, but they're little baby versions. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, in the beginning I was like, yeah, this is a cool idea. This will be great. And then we were pretty slow, you know, you're, you're still learning in the bakery and stuff. And we're, I was like, Oh gosh, maybe we're a bit off more than we can chew baking these like tiny versions of decadent cakes. And of course, when you're doing like little tiny baby ones and making 40 of them, it, it takes quite some time, but we got faster and now it's, it's pretty good. And they've become very popular. You've also got um, an incredible range of um, croissants. There's a, a strawberry sundae croissant. Uh, can you tell us about what, you, what you're doing there? Yeah, so um, every weekend um, we do a special flavor and um, I leave it up to the chefs at work. I try not to, like I give them my input and teach them different methods, but I like to offer them to make their own suggestions of flavors every week. Um, Helps them learn, keeps them involved. You know, it's a bit exciting. Um, And so every week we do a different flavor. We get creative. We fill it you know, full to the brim of, of, of flavored custard or a jelly or something and decorate the top. And, uh, it's become really popular. Um, this weekend we're doing the strawberry Sunday croissant, uh, because it was supposed to be Eka, but the Eka has been canceled. <laughs> um, so we have made a croissant cone uh, so it's not a full croissant and we're, we're serving it in one of our um, Devella coffee cups. And then we're filling it with uh, vanilla custard and a strawberry jelly and then topping it with Chantilly cream and strawberry sauce and fresh strawberries. It's wow. delicious. It's very decadent. <laughs> what sort of feedback do you get from these products? Do you have any um, sort of standout uh, comments that you can tell us about? Um, we do. Uh, most of the the exceptional feedback is generally about our weekend special croissants. Um, they, you know, it started off as just a let's get fun and creative between the kitchen kind of thing every now and then. And it became so popular that every weekend we're like trying to think of new flavors and, and people are getting really excited about it. So sometimes we might put um, on our social media a... Um, like a poll, what kind of flavor would you like and let people choose the flavor and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, it's become quite popular. So I'd say that that's probably our biggest our biggest item is definitely our special flavored croissants of the weekend and people travel for it like crazy. So it's it's, it's quite good. And, um, and the baby cakes, of course. You traveled through Canada and the States in search of great donuts and, <laughs> and Davella started with donuts. What, what makes a great donut? Um, I think it has to be obviously fluffy, but some like sustenance to the donut. I don't, uh, we make our donuts with full cream milk and lots of butter and like all that good stuff. We don't scab out on any of the, you know, good flavored ingredients, um, rather than making our dough with water and things like that. But I think that the dough needs to be a really rich, nice flavor rather than just the filling. So I think that that makes a good donut. And we hand roll our donuts too, so it's got a lot of love and time and effort into them. <laughs> what, what do you love about pastry? 
Um, I think just the joy that it brings people. Like it, I, I go to work and I feel happy making pastries, especially when I make something that's particularly delicious and I'm like, oh, wow, like I didn't <laughs> expect that. And then when I see my chefs making delicious food and they – uh, you know, feel great about that. And then you see people eating the food and they're, and they're happy as well. So I guess it just brings joy to everybody. Davella was uh, unexpected for you and, uh, and a real success during the last 18 months. Um, do you have any sort of future plans for that at the moment? Yeah, so we've definitely spoken about plans for a Davella 2.0, but um, at the moment we're just trying to make the original developer perfect before we uh, move on to any future plans. What sort of impact has having this business and this creative outlet had on you? Um, I guess it's definitely changed my life a little bit. I mean, I, I went from, you know, a year ago, I felt like a bit of a nomad and I could fit my whole life into a backpack. And now I've kind of settled down into, you know, my own home and I've got a business and a home now and, and I've kind of like unloaded myself and it, it feels quite good. I feel comfortable, which is great. Well, no doubt that there'll be um, many more people queuing, um, to get those incredible croissants and donuts, um, this weekend coming. Uh, Lindsay, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Awesome. Thank you for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.